0: Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about Jesus. How about that? The reason we kicked off this series is because we're going toward that team rally, we want to get everybody involved, um, so we're asking you what are you into, amen? Yeah, amen. Let's start in verse 30, then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things that they had both done and what they had taught, and he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat, they had been working real hard, so Jesus said, let's go take a break. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Verse 33. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew Jesus. They knew him. And they ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before Jesus did and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out of the boat, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and and already the hour is late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread. For they have nothing to eat. But Jesus answered and said unto them, You give them something to eat. And they said to Jesus, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, We have five and two fish. And he commanded them to make all the people sit down in groups On the green grass, they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And the two fish he divided among everybody. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 basketfuls of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. We're going to take our text from verse 41. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed it, and broke it, and gave them to his disciples to distribute among them all. We're going to teach this morning on the subject when jesus gets into it when jesus gets into it lord Lord, we love you this morning we've come to you many times already today you're so good you're good all the time i thank you that in our lowest places you meet us in our highest places you meet us i thank you then we when we have nothing you are our supply. And you've blessed us to be a blessing god i ask that you just invade this space over the next few moments encourage us through your word let us see something we've never seen before move our hearts and spirits to grow move us to do something to advance your kingdom heal somebody's heart save somebody's soul heal somebody's body deliver somebody out of trouble god we pray that the yoke a burden would be broken off people's lives, and that light would shine in their soul today. We give you glory, and we ask you to have your way in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Before you're seated, can you give God a hand, praise, and a shout? One more shout of praise. Hallelujah. Tell somebody next to you as you're seated, when Jesus gets into it. You know, Jesus is still the answer for the world today. Jesus is still the answer for the world today. He is God all by himself, and like him there is none other. Can I get an amen? In Matthew 16, when he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am, the confession came From Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is not another God. Jesus is not one of the gods. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He is not an option, he is not a byproduct, he is not a good idea. He's not the subject of a pep rally. He's not something we can use as a mascot. Jesus is the master of our souls, and he is still the answer for the world today. Can I get an amen? He said on that confession that he is Christ, and he is the son of the living God, that upon that rock, he would build his church. I'm talking about Jesus this morning. Upon that rock, he would build his church, that he is... The Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, when you're standing on Jesus, you're standing on a firm foundation. When you're standing on Jesus, there's no storm that can rock you. When you're standing on Jesus, the storm may hit you, but it surely is not going to take you out. When you're standing on Jesus, no adversity that comes against you can harm you. It can just trouble you a little bit because I'm standing on the firm foundation of Jesus, the solid rock upon which I stand. I said his name is Jesus. He is Jesus. So no matter what sickness may befall you or what trouble or calamity may come against you or what accusation you may face or what loss or what failure or what mistake or what you may face, it does not matter because Jesus is still the answer for the world today. And he is a firm foundation upon which we can stand. Amen. Amen. You know, we don't preach Jesus enough in our churches anymore. What we like to do is get up and share a nice little Bible verse and then teach you a motivational lesson that you may be able to take home and apply to your day-to-day life just to make you feel a little more happy about the way things are. But let me tell you something, without Jesus at the center and at the foundation of everything that you do and everything that you are, none of those motivating factors, none of those principles, none of those six steps to this and 12 steps to that are going to help you because the answer resides in one name and one name alone and that name is Jesus Christ and we know that at the mention of that name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord that he is Lord and this Jesus Jesus isn't just a character in a in the book He's not just, um, like I said a minute ago, he's not a mascot. You know, church and religion likes to make Paul our master and Jesus the mascot. That's tough for us to hear because Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But we just reference Jesus and then we always go to what, what this person said. We make a pastor or a church leader our, our leader. And Jesus, our mascot. Jesus is not our mascot. Jesus is the master. He's the ultimate one we serve. At Quest Church, we don't serve among us first. We don't serve around us first. We don't serve within us first. We serve above us first. Because he's the one that deserves the priority. He's the one that deserves the attention. And so as Jesus approaches this story. I feel like he positioned himself perfectly for this moment. He gets in position uh, just perfectly because when the people arrive, when the people are arriving, if you don't mind, I'm going to try to stay away from my notes this morning and just kind of talk because I don't want it to be too formal or anything like that, I want it to be real real uh, uh um uh what is the word real real candid real real uh tangible something you can feel I, I don't want it to be real robotic or formulated because I really heard God speak to me specifically this week about this word um, He really spoke to to me and my family even about this word in particular, and so I want to share it with you in a in a way that maybe you can feel it so so I may not go to my notes I may stumble a little bit as I'm talking but I want you to hear what I'm saying so when Jesus approaches this the people are arriving on shore see what happened in this story is that he sent out his disciples two by two you guys know the story right to do ministry he sent out 72 of them and when they all come back the 12 disciples come to him and even when they come to him Jesus is busy because the Bible tells us in Mark that people are coming and going People are coming and going, he's healing folks, he's teaching, and and so much so that he hadn't even had a chance to eat. So he looks at his disciples and says, hey, let's jump on the boat, and let's go to a deserted place, a place where not many people are. Let's go take a break, and just breathe for a minute, and let's talk about what you guys did, so that we can rehearse it, see what went right, what went wrong, because accountability matters in ministry. And so they jump on the boat. And they start heading to this deserted place. The place that they're going is called Bethsaida. By the way, this story is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. So if you want to learn all the details, I encourage you to read it in Matthew chapter 14 and, 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 and Mark chapter 6 where we just read it. And Luke chapter 9 and John chapter 6. It's in all of those places. And there's little nuggets in each of them that, don't, that they don't share. But you learn the whole story if you read them all in, in all four spots. So... They go, and as they're going, the people see that Jesus is going, and the people beat him there. They're on foot. He's on a boat, and they beat him there, and the Bible says that there's 5,000 men that meet him there, and in Matthew, when you read it in Matthew, at the end, it says there were 5,000 men not counting women and children. So, the guesstimate is that there were something like ten or fifteen thousand people gathered to Jesus in this deserted place. Can you imagine that? That's a lot of people, y'all. If you look around, there's a lot of people in here, but we're talking a few hundred people that are in here. There were over ten to fifteen thousand people. I don't know what the earth's population is right now, but I know it's big. It's probably like eight or nine billion people in the world, right this is, we're talking. 2,023 years ago. There wasn't that many people in the earth at that time, especially that region. And they were able to gather 10 to 15,000 people. That's how many people arrive here. I think that's interesting because the people were so hungry to get to Jesus that they were willing to go to a deserted place just to get to him. And we're not talking about a few hundred people. We're talking about a few thousand people. Yeah. How desperate do you have to be to walk as far as they had to walk with their wives and children yeah. just to go hear a man talk? Jesus, my Lord. Come on. How sick do you have to be to go that far? To have an experience that you may not even get your miracle. You just know there's a chance you might get your miracle. How desperate do you have to be? You know what that is? That's uh, that's a people dealing with oppression. That's what's happening. Because in this culture, they had political oppression. They had societal depression. They had uh, uh, oppression. They had uh, uh, social oppression. And they had religious oppression. Everybody was pressing them down, and they were at a place where they were hemmed in. And and what Jesus was offering was a fresh message of hope and love and healing. And they just wanted something that brought some good news that that they could break out of this. Here's what I've learned. You oppress somebody long enough, they're going to revolt against you. You oppress somebody long enough, you're going to get revolution. Whether it's a nation and a nation, mm-hmm. or it's a, an abusive relationship, yeah. or it's a hard boss, yeah. no, no matter what it is. If you oppress somebody and hold somebody down long enough, yes. there's going to be something inside that group of people or that person that says, there's got to be something better than yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be something better than this. And so Jesus, we know he's omnipotent. It means he's all-powerful. We know he's omnipresent, which means he's all places at, at all times. But we also know he's omniscient. He knows everything. And because he knows everything, he's the master strategist. And so he knew he could time it just right. He knew his disciples were tired. He was tired. And he timed it just right. He said, let's take them a little bit further. And he takes them out to this deserted place, and there's 5,000 people. And then Jesus says, I'm going to get into it a little bit. I'm going to get into it a little bit. And so we see a few things in this passage of Scripture. We see, we see the people, right? We see that there's a little bit of a problem, right? Then we see the provision of God. And then there's the purpose behind it all, right? And so Jesus has compassion On the people. Because it's always been about the people. From the Old Testament, time and again, I will be your God and you shall be my people. It's always been about the people. It's not about the blessing. It's about the people. It's not about your bigger house. It's about the people. It's not about making more money. It's about the people. In a day and age which we live in right now, those same oppressions or pr- oppressions that I spoke of a few minutes ago are active and alive in our generation in this country. There's political oppression. There's societal o- oppression. There's social oppression. There's religious oppression. and. I believe that God is raising up a hungry, desperate people that's saying that are saying, enough is enough. I just need to get back to where Jesus is so that I can receive what he has for me. Amen. So Jesus sees these people and he has compassion on them, is what the Bible says. Because they're like sheep that don't have a shepherd. They're like sheep. That don't have a shepherd. What do shepherds do? Shepherds tend to their flock. And they do it on this wise. They protect them. We know that. They take them from pasture to pasture. To make sure that they can sustain good health and wholeness. Right? They keep them together. They keep them in a flock. And then they feed the sheep. That's what the shepherd does. And he sees that these people are like sheep without a shepherd. You know, when sheep wander... They end up away from the flock. Sheep wander because they have no one to guide them. They have no, nothing to keep them in tight with what purpose is. When a sheep wanders off, the sheep won't eat right, and the sheep will ultimately be killed because predators are always looking for the sheep. What we got in this day and age are Christians that have wandered all over the place, and they're vulnerable to the attack of the enemy because they refuse to get with the flock. Because I don't need church. Church is all about control and it's about money. And I don't need church. I just need Jesus. True. You just need Jesus. But you also need a church that you can lock into. The church was full of control and money hungry people when Jesus was alive. And he still frequented the church every Sabbath. Can I get an amen? They're sheep without a shepherd and so they're hungry. They don't, he has compassion on them. So he's teaching them. He gets involved with it. He's showing his disciples something. No matter how tired I am, I'm going to do this. Yeah. He gets involved with it. And he's teaching them. And he's healing them. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And his disciples come to him and say, hey, you're a little long-winded preacher. <laughs> it's late in the day. We should let them go. Send them away. It wasn't the Pharisees that told them that. It wasn't the religious folk that told him that. It wasn't the Romans that told them that. It was the disciples. They were tired. Send them away so that they can go get themselves something to eat. And the truth is they were probably compassionate on them. We're way out here now. They hungry. They need to go eat. Isn't it just like that, how people sometimes feel like they just know best? Right? Peter was the, very, was the only person that Jesus ever called Satan, besides Satan himself. Did you know that? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. You know why he did that? Because Peter grabbed him and rebuked him. Peter thought he knew better than Jesus did. He got out of line. And the last time Jesus saw somebody think more highly of themselves than they ought to think, he called them by name. Satan, get behind me. Get back in line. Get back in position. We have too many folks that are saying, if I was the pastor, I would do it this way. If I was in leadership, maybe we'd go that way. Or maybe we'd focus on this. And the reality is, maybe you don't know best. Maybe Jesus is taking us down a different type of path here. Yeah, it doesn't look good. These folks are hungry. But there's something in the works here because when Jesus gets into it, it's never ordinary. Yes. So he asked the next question. He said, they said, we need to, he said, um, you feed them. You do it. Give them something to eat. And And Philip, like, sarcastic, what, are we supposed to what, take 200 denarii worth and buy all these people food so they can just have a little bit? He's being sarcastic because to feed all these people, they didn't even have the money to do it, first of all. And secondly, if they somehow came upon the money to do it, it wouldn't even be enough to satisfy them. Jesus wanted to make sure that they knew that what was about to happen was gonna be impossible. So he asked them, you do it. You do it. He's teaching his disciples something. You do it. You do it. They said, we can't do it. Jesus asked the best question that's ever asked in the Bible. Maybe not ever, but for today's sake, we're going to say ever. He asks, what do you have? What do you have? You know, too many of us are complaining about what we don't have. If we just had, too many of us live our life and make decisions about tomorrow based on what we don't have. If you would slow down and consider what you do have. Amen. Amen. What do you have? And it's so interesting because it's, it's a young man. They go looking for what they got. And they ain't got much. And they're probably rumbling amongst themselves, man, we ain't got nothing to feed these people. I don't even know what he's talking about. And so they find this young man. This, the Bible calls him a lad. This young man, this boy. They find a boy. And they bring him to Jesus. And they say, well, we have five loaves. And Two fish. Five loaves and two fish. And who has it? This, this little boy. Jesus said, so this little boy has five loaves and two fish. Yes. Yes, sir. The boy has five loaves and two fish. And that's all we got. Yeah. And who has it? The little boy. The little boy has the five loaves and the two fish. And he was a little boy. Had five loaves and two fish. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, one of the translations said they were barley loaves. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's John's version says they were barley loaves, which means they were hard. Right? And they're thin. Thin and hard. The barley loaves. Which you made barley loaves because that's what poor people made to save money because it was more than the wheat loaves. Right? So they made barley loaves hopefully to get more. And so we don't know where he brought these from. We don't know if it's the disciples' supply of food. We don't know if this young man was out there selling food to everybody. We don't know if it was his mama food. We don't know. We just know that this little boy had five loaves and two fish. And if I remember reading the story right, there were 5,000 men not counting women and children. Isn't it amazing how the ones that aren't counted somehow God uses? Come on, dog. Come on. The one that they didn't count had the provision in his hand. How many of you are sick of being overlooked? How many of you are sick of being on the outside of the count? They counted 5,000 men, and they didn't count the kids, and the kid had the. It reminds me of another little boy that didn't count. His name was David. And when they called in the brothers to be anointed, because Samuel said, one of them's king in here. One of them's king in here. He went through all of them, and he said, do you have another one? And he, his daddy, Jesse, had to say, well, yeah, but I didn't think he'd count it. He's out in the field, and so he calls him in, and, and sure enough, that's, man, that's who we're going to anoint, king. And he pours the oil over his head, and he says, you shall be king of Israel. And you know what David does? He goes back out to the field. He goes back out to the field to be a shepherd. And time passes, and his brothers join the army, and they're out there and acting like scaredy cats, and Goliath is standing on the field, intimidating, and we find another little boy with some bread in his hands. Because Jesse tells him, hey, can you take some bread and cheese to your brother? Can you imagine knowing your anointed king, but now you have to take bread and cheese to your brothers? You know why a lot of us don't advance in our purpose with God because we get the calling that we feel the calling and the anointing of God that comes on our life and we ask when we feel like we should be stepping into that tomorrow and we're not willing to do the menial tasks that it takes to actually serve God used David. God chose David because he was a man under authority and he was willing to serve. He didn't let his pride and his ego dictate how he behaved. He didn't let his pride or his ego dictate his faith. He didn't let his pride or his ego dictate how he saw people or how he perceived life. He said, I am just a simple guy that does my father's bidding. And yeah, I was anointed king. And if God really wants it, he'll make it happen. So daddy... If you need me to take some bread and cheese to my brothers i have no problem with that and he takes bread and cheese and god uses him to dislay a giant because he'll use the menial tasks to put you on display He'll use the menial task to walk you up to the window of opportunity that you needed to show the greatness that God had intended for you. And you know why he wanted to use David in that moment? Because David was just a boy. And he wanted to show that we don't need the greatest warrior. We don't need the greatest king. We don't need the one with the best accolades. We don't want the one with the best resume. We don't want the one that sings the best. We don't want the one that can wield the sword the best all this boy got is a sling and a rock and that's all I need because I am God and I can use who I want to use and I'm just grateful that he was willing to deliver some bread so that I could use him to kill this giant It's about time for the saints of God to stop complaining about your circumstance. Stop saying you're less than. Stop saying they're overlooking me. Stop saying they left me out. Stop saying they forgot about me. God's got his eye on you. If his eye is on the sparrow, then he is watching over you. And so there's this little boy with five loaves and two fish. I can see Jesus smiling at him. I can see him smiling from ear to ear. The son of David, Jesus Christ, is looking at a boy with some bread and fish to give to his brothers. I can see Jesus smiling, thinking I remember when this happened. There's a giant to slay right here. There's a giant to slay right here, and this little boy is going to get it done. God has a way of grooming greatness in the fields of obscurity. God has a way of grooming greatness in the fields of obscurity. Many times the great ones never know they're great until they're actually great. If you think you're great and you're still in a field... Do the business of the field and let the great be the great when it comes. And so Jesus says, okay, let's see what you got. So he gets the five loaves and the two fish and he's holding it in his hand. And the first thing he does is he looks up like, daddy, you ready for this? And he blesses it. Jesus blessed what was not enough. Come on. Jesus. Jesus, the first thing he does is blesses what's not enough. Many times in Scripture when it says Jesus blessed something, it means he was being, he was expressing his gratitude to the Lord for it. Mm-hmm. He was thanking God for it. God, I thank you for this not enough. Many of us are complaining about we don't have enough. But we're not looking at what we have. And you know what? I want to say thank you, God, for my not enough. You know what I need and you know what I have. And what I have doesn't match my need. But I want to thank you for blessing my not enough. Because my not enough in your hands... Oh, my goodness, it's more than enough. Because when it gets in your hands, things happen. I want to thank you for the not enough in my hands. I want to thank you for the not enough. Because like David, David didn't have a sword. What David had in his hand was a sling and a rock. What Moses had in his hand was just a staff. It was just a staff. And I remember this lady, I remember this lady, I remember this lady with Elisha, and and, and she had a need, and her her kid was starving, and they were going to die. And Elisha asked her the same question that Jesus asked the disciples, what do you have in your house? And she said, I don't have much, I don't have a lot, I just have this little flask of oil. But that's what I got. And Elisha said, that's all you need. Go get some vessels. Go get some vessels. And what I see when Jesus is crossing over this, the, 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 the Sea of Galilee with his, with, his, with his 12 disciples, he's got his 12 flasks of oil up in this ship because he had just anointed them. That's what the Bible says. And he had just sent them out for ministry. He's looking at his 12 flasks of oil in this boat going across and he's thinking to himself, how do I get these guys to multiply? How do I get these guys to impart what I've imparted to them? I hear what they said they did over there but did they really, were they really fruitful? Did they expand the kingdom? Did they make things advance? Did they get up out of their minds with this thing? Or did it go to their heads? I don't know. I need to figure out where their faith is. I need to know if they have the faith that this lady had maybe when Elisha went to her and said what do you have in the house and she said i just have a flask and i believe jesus looked up at the lord when he held them fish and them loaves in his hand he said god i have some vessels i have some vessels bless this not enough and make it more than enough pour out your oil right here and make it more than enough and he's looking at his flasks of oil and he asked them you feed them, and he tests their faith when he asks the question. And they say, what are we supposed to, how are we supposed to do that? They had just seen Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And instead of being sarcastic, you would think, Jesus, you're going to have to give us the answer on this one. You would think they'd at least say that, but instead they smart off. What are we supposed to do about that? He's testing their faith, and he's going to show them one more time that the oil can be poured out as long as there's a vessel to pour it into. And there's 5,000, not counting women and children, 10 to 15,000 vessels ready for the oil to be poured out. And Jesus blesses it. He's thankful for what's not enough. And then he breaks it. And then he breaks it because the blessing is in the breaking, the miracle is in the breaking. If the breaking doesn't happen, the multiplication will never happen. If the breaking doesn't happen, the distribution never happens. If the breaking doesn't happen, there is no miracle at all. There's just a bunch of hungry folks sitting in cute little rows. Because the blessing is in the breaking. Stop cursing what's breaking you right now. Stop cursing that trouble that's beating you down right now. How do you know that God is not breaking you up, getting you ready just to multiply you and and enhance you and distribute you with your purpose throughout the earth? The blessing is in the breaking. So the longer you're being broken, the more you're being multiplied. So let it be blessed. Let the breaking be blessed. Say thank you for the breaking. Stop cursing the breaking. The broken hearts. The broken homes. The broken spirits. The broken minds. It's being. It's, the blessing is in the breaking. Can't get much amen because y'all must not have been broken too much. I know about me, I've been broken quite a bit. I've let myself down and let myself shatter on rocks. I felt God throw me against some rocks and shatter me. I've I've let my heart be broken because I had too much expectation in people. I've let my spirit be broken because I failed God so many times. I felt the breaking, but I'm here to tell you, there is blessing in the breaking. There is blessing in the breaking. And before, it's funny, I flipped my page, see where I was at, and I'm like, it's not even close to what that just said. Sorry. So before he starts the distribution, he tells them line them up, get them in groups of 50 and in groups of 100. Get them in groups of 50. In groups of 100. First of all, so he could know how much he needed to make. Every good chef knows to count the crowd and be prepared. So let's get them in groups. Groups of 50 and groups of 100. And you know that had to have taken some significant time. Yes. To get ten to 15,000 people. People, try getting people in a line right now. Just this many people right here. Let's try to get you all in a single file line see how that goes. Ain't going to go. go over like a lead balloon. So he, it, it took time and it took some thought. And here's what I, I learned from it. That every miracle and every blessing requires structure and order to sustain itself. So you might be still waiting on your miracle. And you said... Son, I've been broken. I'm still being broken, and I'm sick of being broken. The question you need to ask, am I in order and structured, ready to receive this blessing? Because sometimes we want what's in God's hand, but not we're not willing to do the requirements and, the, and, and walk in obedience in order to get it just right so that we can handle what he's given us. Because the Bible tells us that he commanded them to do this. So it... What I learned from that is that it takes obedience and order to be ready to receive God's miracles. So he gets them all, all ready. And he blesses it. And he breaks it. And he puts it in the disciples' hands. And he has them distributed to the people. He pours himself out again into them and shows them, now you go pour yourself out. And I got to imagine that it had to freak them out. That every time they handed out a piece of bread, the same amount they had in their hand when they handed it out was still there. Like every time they said, here, here you get bread and, and thought about going back to Jesus, it had to freak them out. That every time they did it, it was still there. Jesus wanted to know could they handle my power in their hands? And then he wanted to know, can these people receive my power through their hands? Because if they could receive my power through their hands, then they could take that same power and give it to them that aren't even The reason this miracle is so amazing is because every one of the gospel writers recounted to make sure that you understand this happened. The reason we know this happened is because there was 5,000 men, not including women and children. There was no doubt that he had performed this. And it's amazing that a few verses later, Jesus says... I am the bread of life. And you will hunger and thirst for me. He tells the lady at the well, what you're looking for, you can drink from that water, but you're going to be thirsty again. But if you drink from the water I supply, you'll never thirst again. And then Jesus goes through the same breaking himself on a cross. And releases power, because he knows if his disciples can be obedient and be in order, that my miracles can reach the multitude. Yes. Yes. And you know what's amazing about the whole story? There's 12 baskets left over. There's 12 baskets left over. What that tells me is two things. Number one, that little boy got to leave. With more than he came with. Yes, yes. That little boy, we don't know his name, but he, we sure know he did something. It's yes. going to be remembered forever. And all 12 of those disciples got blessed. Yes. Because they did Christ's work. And delivered his power yes. to those that needed it. My question for you today is, what are you doing to deliver God's power to a world who needs it? See, when Jesus gets into it, he gets everybody involved in it. Mm -hmm. That's the power of when Jesus gets into it. He gets everybody involved. Jesus said, when asked, Who's the greatest among us? Mm -hmm. He said, The greatest among you. Greatest is the servant of all. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about himself. Mm -hmm. Look at me, he's saying watch my service watch what I do and do that take what I have and distribute it abroad a lot of times we come into church and we're going to pray for you everybody in just a minute and we come looking for what we need and we're not looking for what we can be equipped with the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that Jesus gave us gifts and he gives us the fivefold ministry the apostle prophet evangelist pastor teacher oh five kind of like them five loaves and he gives us those gifts to equip us to do the work of the ministry because The kingdom of God does not advance because we have powerful pulpit ministry. The kingdom of God does not advance because we have celebrity worship leaders. The kingdom of God does not advance just because we have mega church pastors. And mega churches and social media and all that. The kingdom of God is advanced when the back row is as involved as the front row. The kingdom of God is advanced when the flasks of oil recognize the vessels and pour themselves out. We don't send them away. We go find what's in Jesus' hand. Because my little in the master's hand is more than enough. Can I get an amen? There's people in here that you've been going through a breaking. Mm -hmm. You've been dealing with it, man. It's real. It don't leave you alone. Breaks you at night. Breaks you in your car when you're by yourself. Breaks you when you look at your bank account. Breaks you when you run past that Facebook profile that you should have blocked a long time ago. breaks you some you feel like you, net, you just don't count everybody treats you like you don't count some feel like you just you know not feel like you just know what you have is not enough what you have is not enough and I came by to tell you that be thankful for you're not enough Be thankful for them overlooking you. And be thankful for the breaking. Because like like you said, little becomes much when it's in the Master's hands. Can you lift your hands this morning?